You're listening to the Supertalk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Hello and welcome to Supertalk. My name is Gary West and I'm the Senior Manager, Media and Communications with AIST. Today we'll be looking at diversity, equity and inclusion, or DEI as it's also known. Joining me is Mary Gabriel, Chair of MetLife Australia's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee and Senior Client Relationship Manager, Corporate Markets with MetLife. And also Alex Hunter, Talent Acquisition Manager with MetLife Australia. Among the topics you'll be hearing about today are why DEI is important, the DEI model that MetLife has adopted, MetLife's journey in this area, the role of recruitment, lessons for others, and more. Mary and Alex, thank you very much for joining me here today. So Mary, to begin with, what is DEI? Thank you, Gary, and uh, myself and Alex are just thrilled to be here. So thank you for having us both here today. Uh, so, so what is DEI? You might hear uh, DEI or DEI. We're committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion at MetLife. Um, the way I like to think about it is that diversity is basically the mix of people that you have in an organisation. Um, so you're looking at the different ways that we might identify ourselves or the different ways that we differ. So, for example, by culture, by gender, by age, by um, educational profession, for example. Inclusion, on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, is a sense of belonging for all those different groups. So it's how um, connected do people feel to an organisation and how included do they feel? What's that sense of belonging? And we, we recently added E to our uh, to ourselves, so the, the, the E in the middle being equity. And I like to think of it as the bridge between diversity and inclusion in that it's about creating fair access and opportunity uh, for all of those groups of people to enable people to do their best jobs at work. So um, that's how I like to think of diversity, equity and inclusion. Why is DEI important to organisations uh, and, and to employees? Yeah, so um, look, from it's really interesting. The last 10 years, I think there's been a heightened focus in general across all organisations for DEI. Probably, you know, more than 10 years ago, it was less focused on. Um, and the reason I'd say that it's become such a heightened uh, sense of importance within organisations is it actually impacts every aspect of an organisation's performance across attracting key talent, uh, improving innovation and performance, uh, looking at your brand, your reputation and a sense of responsibility and also our financial performance as well. Um, and this, is, this isn't just myself and Alex saying that. It's been well documented across many consultant reports. You can have a, a quick read of there's some really good reports out there by McKinsey and by Deloitte um, that show some research about how harnessing diversity and inclusion improves an organisation's performance. But, um, but I'd hand over to Alex as well to, to take on his take of why is it so important. Yeah, thanks, Mary. And, and hello, everybody. And hi, Gary. And thanks for uh, inviting us. Really, really good opportunity to have a chat about DEI, which is at the forefront of so many businesses at the moment. Um, I'd probably just add to that, um, 
you know, we all do talk about the reports, as Mary said, and the fact that, you know, um, businesses tend to outperform other businesses if they take DEI seriously and they're gender diverse and they've got this really kind of strong diversity of thought, i.e. they can think like their customers think. Uh, we're a life insurer, so our customer base is really the Australian population. And if we're not thinking like they are, if we're not reflecting similar sort of makeup that the Australian population is, we're not going to be able to kind of offer products that they want and, and help them understand. So from a business perspective, yes, it's, it's a really, really important thing to look at and it makes good business sense. But really, and coming from an HR perspective, it is the right thing to do. You know, we do have legal obligations and responsibilities not to discriminate against employees and to, to take all reasonable steps to prevent things like discrimination, harassment, victimization and bullying. So it's kind of like a, a, a double win, really. You know, it's, it's definitely the right thing to do. And if you've got a passion for this space, you know, there's so much to be done from a volunteering perspective, but also it does make really good business sense. So it's a, it's a double edged thing, really. What type of uh, DEI model uh, have you adopted at MetLife? Um, yeah, I'll, I'd probably say that there's traditionally kind of two ways that companies look at the, the structure of a DEI model. So more often than not, they can be either employee-led or HR or people and culture-led. So we've, we've done it at MetLife. So we've got obviously a, a huge global business. So we've got a global lead. We've got global counterparts. We've got... Uh, people around the world who've got actually a, a global head of diversity and inclusion. Here in Australia, it's very much employee-led. So we've got a, a DEI committee, which was actually set up. And Mary, you're going to have to jump in here. I think it was set up in 2014. Uh, close, 2016, yeah. 16, yes. And um, from there, um, it really is kind of people in the business who've got an avid interest in, in pushing the the DEI um, agenda across the business for, for all the right reasons. So at the moment, we've got about 25 people, who, or I think it's a bit more than that now, who are actually part of this local committee. It's not people and culture led, but there's definitely a hand-in-hand -hand approach. So I'm obviously on that committee and I'm in the people and culture or HR team. And there's a number of things that you know need that partnership to work very, very well. The other thing I'd say, and this is a really good piece of advice for anybody going down this journey it, it really helps to have it uh, either sponsored or led by the md ceo running owner of the business you know if you don't have that backing it's not going to be at the forefront of everybody's mind so really we're, we're employee-led dei committee it's it's sponsored by richard nunn our ceo and he's frequently on all the meetings and helping out with things that we can change but a hand-in-hand -hand working partnership with the uh, people and culture team Clearly, the CEO is right behind it. That's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, tell us about MetLife's journey so far with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, how um, have your DEI efforts been going over the last few years? Yeah, thanks for that, Gary. Um, so I think Alex pointed out that, you know, everyone's at some point in their journey with DEI. And so our journey in Australia certainly started a number of years ago. And the way it started was exactly as Alex pointed out, we just went out there and said, would anyone like to volunteer to participate? So that's always a good place to start. Um, and so it's been really interesting to me to see it uh, grow. Myself, I was one of those early volunteers um, in this tiny group of less than 10 people. And, you know, a lot of these um, DEI committees start out uh, being very tactical and uh, picking certain events to celebrate during the year. 
And, um, and that's certainly important and that's a good place to start. Um, where we've evolved to, what I'm really proud of is not only has our group of volunteers grown significantly from less than 10 people to now, as Alex pointed out, over 25 people, really um, diverse and big representation across our organisation. Not only that, but we've gone from being just tactical events to being an integral strategic component of our business across the board in terms of how we promote, how we uh, hire our people and how we coach and develop our people and pick talent cohorts, et cetera. Um, so I've been really, really proud about that and seeing how that's evolved. Um, the other thing that I, I would say is that when we first started out, we had um, sort of, uh, I suppose, more traditional lens of focus. So we had uh, Women's Business Network. We also had what we call GLAM, which is our um, gay, lesbian communities and allies. So that's um, a really key part of our, our team and also culture represented as well. And then more recently, we've added a couple of other streams of focus being age. And so looking at different people's in the different people in the workforce and their various age cohorts and also disability. So there's a couple of streams that we've added um, more recently. So um, five streams of focus. And the other thing um, that I think along the journey that's been really interesting is that we've uh, brought on external third parties to help us along the journey. So we've partnered with um, consultants where we've needed some support on that strategic focus. Um, that was really important along the way to help us define what we're, where we're at and where, what we're trying to achieve. And the other thing is that we partnered with industry leading body in this space being Diversity Council Australia. And we're really proud. We're, we're the only life insurer who's been endorsed by the Diversity Council of Australia as a um, uh, a certified inclusive employer and that happened last year so um so quite a journey for us and the other thing I'd, I'd add is that Alex's appointment which happened a few years ago now um helped us to inform ourselves about where we're at so I'll, I'll let you elaborate on that Alex oh thank you so yeah um I think always for me and my role in talent acquisition is really really important to get to understand okay where are we in, in our journey for on DEI and kind of really to get a snapshot as to where we are as a business. So I joined MetLife, yeah, probably back in 2019, at the beginning of 2019, and instantly wanted to get involved in DEI, joined the, joined the committee and kind of sat in the first meeting, where are we? And absolutely, as Mary said, there was a lot of um, events taking place. There was so much passion and energy in the team, but it kind of felt like, right, okay, well, what's next? Where do we want to head to? And for me, the, the most important thing is to get an understanding, a snapshot as to where you are as a business. Like, what does your business look like when it comes to how diverse you are and how included people feel? So we, um, we then um, actually kind of sent out an all-staff uh, diversity, equity and inclusion survey. And that was designed alongside um, with the um, Diversity Council Australia um, survey. Um, and we, it was about 46 questions. Um, so it did two things really. It gave us the opportunity to dig deeper into our um, employees. So kind of how, how diverse is our business. So it's very easy for somebody in HR to come in and have a look at diversity and focus instantly on the easy to kind of understand parts, which could be gender. Because obviously things like that can, you can click a button and do a report in people and culture, but we don't know from that side of things whether or not what does our LGBTIQA plus community look like? 
um, what, we could probably delve a little bit into age, but kind of race, religion, cultural backgrounds, anybody with any disabilities, all of these things you're never going to know unless you ask people. And it was a completely anonymous survey. Um, that was the kind of right we, we wanted to understand how diverse we are. We didn't break it down into teams, into business units. I had absolutely no idea who was uh, responding. Um, we had about 67, I think it was 67% um, of employees respond. And with that, you've obviously got their um, makeup from a diverse perspective, but you've also got questions in there to see how included they feel. Um, questions, you know, which are pretty hard hitting, like, you know, have you ever witnessed any bullying, harassment or victimization? And from that, you can then cut the data on the various minority groups and work out whether or not there's areas of concern, areas that we need to do more work in. And that really created our, okay, this is where we are as a business. And that was back in 2019. And we do this every two years. Um, and that really helped, as, as Mary said, form that DEI strategy. Uh, and has moved us from going just from kind of being event-based to actually kind of making a significant difference and, and changes based off those survey results. And, you know, we, we learned some incredible things. Um, I'm trying to remember all the stats off the top of my head, but I know even out of the 67% of people who responded and we did it last year again, we had 52 different cultural backgrounds just out of those 67% uh, of the people represented across the business. So we know factually we are culturally diverse. You know, if you go into a business and ask the CEO who, who haven't got a DEI committee or, or, or haven't actually kind of surveyed and you ask how diverse are we as a business, they'll probably say, yeah, we're pretty diverse. And then when you ask them the question, well, you know, how many cultural backgrounds have you got represented across the business? They won't know. And for me, when you've got facts like this that you can actually go to and realize that we've got to work on making sure that all of these cultural backgrounds are represented and made to feel included, you know, that really helps form part of that strategy. Just to add to that, how critical that survey was for us um, in going from tactical to strategic. Um, the, cult the culture one's a really good example where uh, we probably had a sense of the mix of our people, but we didn't have the data to back us up of where we're actually at. Um, and what has changed for us is that using that data, we've now got a much heightened focus in the DEI committee on culture as a stream uh, to the point where all of our initiatives that are falling out this year are um, hinging upon that data and we're doing some campaigns to... Um, highlight the number of cultures that we've got. We've also got a cultural heritage day, an extra day of annual leave that we've offered to all of our staff. Um, so there's a, a bunch of initiatives that then get played out off the back of that, um, off the back of that survey and that data. So yeah, really integral part of us moving from those early days of just being event driven to being really strategically focused and then running our initiatives accordingly. That's great. Uh, can you provide an example of how DEI has made MetLife a more successful business and a, a better place to work? Mm. I, I definitely would say that um, the appointment of Alex a few years ago, not just because he's on the call, but <laughs> truly <laughs> having been here before and also after, um, prior to Alex joining us, we didn't have that um, that marriage, that perfect marriage between a talent acquisition specialist for our business plus a DEI focus all at once. Um, so plus we had um, the backing of our CEO uh, 
at the same time. So having the perfect marriage of those um, elements has basically helped us to improve our um, not only attraction of talent, but also moving people through their promotions and through talent as well. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, Alex, you've got a lot more to elaborate on that, but that's certainly been an observation for me um, before. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'd, I'd really add is, um, you know, for me, if I joined the business and they didn't take diversity, equity and inclusion seriously or put it really at the centre of their talent acquisition strategy, I'd actually really struggle to do my job well. Because if you, if you don't put it at the centre of what you're doing in terms of attracting people to join you as a business, you're actually kind of significantly reducing the talent pool in the market. So it makes my, selfishly, it makes my job a lot harder. You know, so it goes back to that, um, you know, it's the right thing to do, but also it makes really good business sense. So um, for instance, flexible working at MetLife, we had that in play long before COVID. You know, and flexible working is not just working from home. It can be part-time, it can be shared hours, it can be job sharing, it can be secondment, it can be a number of different things. We had a flexible working policy. Now that has been in place since 2014. Um, so we had that before COVID. Now, if we didn't have that, and if Richard, the CEO, turned around tomorrow and said, right, no more flexible working, I need everybody to be in the office five days a week from 8 a.m. in the morning, till 6 p.m. at night, we would lose, I, I would hazard a guess, anywhere between 40 and 50% of our workforce. And that's not just people who've got um, child caring duties or um, other caring duties. This is kind of the generations where it is now. Other people have got other commitments outside of work. Their work-life balance is so important. You can talk about disability and mental health and the importance of not just being in the office from eight till six. So you know, one of the biggest things we saw change um, in the first couple of years was, you know, the difference of talent that we were getting into the business. Our, our application levels went from when I joined, there were very early stage, we were kind of getting 20, 30 people, a, a job advert that we'd, we'd put in the market. And I think the record was about 435 applicants for one role. So you suddenly see that, you know, our DEI strategy, what we stand for as a business, fairness, equality, was really getting out there and therefore we're getting a lot more kind of talent into in, the business. From that as well, when you look at the inclusion side of things and all the work that the DEI committee's done, um, we then basically saw that, um, we basically saw attrition rates go right down. So when I joined, we were at 36% and people are obviously a lot more engaged, a lot more included. And our attrition rates are now much more healthy, kind of 11, 12%. What about supporting Indigenous Australians? Um, how does that fit in with your DEI agenda? Yeah, I would say um, it's so important. It's actually got a it's separate committee. So um, we've, we've got um, what we call a, a RAP committee. So this is the, our Reconciliation Action Plan. Again, something I highly recommend um, businesses um, get involved in because there's a, a step-by-step guide as to how to do it. Um, and Richard, one of the first things he said or asked when he joined the business, Richard Nunn, was do we have a, a Reconciliation Action Plan? And the answer was, you know, a fair few blank faces and the answer was no and that was very quickly turned around committee was formed and we decided to keep it 
separate from the DEI committee, but also a number of people on the RAP committee are also members of the DEI committee because that's a, it's a huge piece of work, a reconciliation action plan. Um, and it had such a large agenda, it actually took up a separate committee, but there's, a, there's three or four of us on the RAP committee who are also on the DEI committee. So they've also got a separate uh, pillar to continually uh, update the DEI committee as well. What are you most recently proud of accomplishing? I might take this one, Gary. I Look, probably our most evolved um, stream is across our women's business network, as an example. So uh, that particular stream has been going for a number of years. And if I may say, just over the last 12 months, I've seen so much momentum. And a key part of that's been because we've had over 10 people volunteer their time and their passion and dedication to moving the, the needle. Um, what we did in the last 12 months to help us um, move the needle was we actually prescribed to globally to the UN Women's Empowerment Principles. Um, and we use this um, tool, it's called the Gender Gap Analysis Tool, as a guiding template to help us get better across the board and across our value chain. And um, I'm really proud to say that we've we've moved the dial on a number of things. So um, I might just sort of share some of the things I'm really proud of. So strategically, we've launched a gender diversity scorecard, which tracks uh, where we're at in terms of male-female split across the board, right from board level, right down to um, every level in the organisation. And we ask goal setting, and that's been uh, that's going to be socialised with our board and also our leadership team. So that, that's one example. Another example is we've launched um, our DEI policy marketing guidelines on how to treat um, ourselves and also how we present ourselves in the community. Um, for our staff, we've offered uh, lean-in circles where uh, women can share and network on a monthly basis uh, and support one another through their careers uh, we've improved um, our hiring practices. We did parental leave focus groups for everyone who's done um, any kind of parental leave to help improve our uh, policies there. Um, just a number of things there. Um, we've even looked at our physical environment and introduced gender um, gender neutral bathrooms and also uh, parents' room in the office as well. So it's really... Um, across the board so these are things we've just done in the last 12 months so really proud of that it just shows you when you've got that dedication that focus from a group of people what you can achieve um, how can talent acquisition be pivotal in a business's dei journey um yeah look for me it's it's essential um everybody will look at talent acquisition to really kind of ch help change the landscape it's, it's not the be all and end all, but it is really, really, as you said, pivotal. Um, and I'll give you an example. So I'm probably most proud over the last three years that every single global grade that Mary talked about has actually moved towards being more equitable, i.e. if there was traditionally a lot more men in a certain level role, it's actually moved towards, you know, kind of being 50-50 split. And that's across every single grade. And I'll very quickly give you an example on how you can make a difference on the just picking out one of the pillars of DEI, which is gender, how do you get more women in, you know, kind of getting roles in your business? One tiny little thing is you can do, which could be looking at all the adverts you send out in the market. You can gender decode them so you're not using overly masculine words or overly feminine words. You've got to make sure that's completely balanced. Talent acquisition, working with the, the Women's Business Network and the Lean In Circles and actually kind of 
showing and training and coaching people on you know when to and how to apply for an internal role we've seen our internal moves for women go up year on year over the last three years which again i'm incredibly proud of making sure you've got things like safe interview rooms you know and making sure that your interviewers are gender balanced as well so you've got men and women interviewing at the same time and making sure that the candidate feels safe throughout the whole time so and, and, and one other tip i'd very very quickly um give which is so important um, when you're talking about pay equity, i.e. men and women getting paid the same, job architecture, I align with it, and making sure that you're paying for the role itself and not the individual. And the last thing I'd say is never, ever ask a candidate what their current salary is. Always tell them what the role is paying, because if you're telling them what the role is paying and it's out of whack with what they're looking for, they, they won't go through the process. But you're not continuing gender uh, and pay inequity if you're telling them what the role is paying and they're applying for it regardless of male or female so if you really want to take things like that seriously and, and put talent acquisition or, or really have diversity equity and inclusion at the center of your talent acquisition strategy you'll only see benefits okay and just finally what key lessons do you have to share with others looking to establish or further their dei efforts yeah thanks gary i think just to summarize everything we've covered today the first thing that I would suggest to people is find your people. Who are your champions of change across the organisation? So right from your senior leaders backing it through to your people who are going to have the ideas and execute. So that's the first one, find your people. The second tip I would um, offer is use data. So do a survey, uh, find out where you're at in terms of your diversity um, mix and the third thing I'd say is listen to those people, listen to that data, find that information, use it. And the fourth thing is empower your people. Don't be afraid to take risks and really give that permission to your champions of change to try new things and to execute new ideas. And finally, as Alex has really summarised, um, recruitment function is key. Your talent acquisition function is key. So if, if I could really summarise that, that's where I'd say, you know, you can take yourself from being tactical to strategic and embedding into the organisation. That's all for this episode of Super Talk. Thanks to Mary Gabriel and Alex Hunter of MetLife. For more episodes of Super Talk and for more information on the work of the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, visit our website at aist.asn.au and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast.